Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we glorify your name this day. We thank you because you are our Father and you are in heaven. And we say, holy is your name. Holy is your name. Hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come in this place today. Stand the authority of heaven in our lives today. We worship you and we bless you. We acknowledge that you are God and there's none like you. There was none before you, there's none with you, and there will be none after you. You are Alpha and you are Omega. You are the Lord of glory. You are our God and our King. And so, Father, together today we lift up our voices to say glory and honor and power and majesty and dominion belongs to you alone. We thank you for your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. We thank you for giving his life for us on the cross of Calvary. We thank you for him rising from the dead and ascending to heaven where he's our intercessor. And so, Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we honor your name. We say that your name is above all names. That at the mention of your name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you alone are Lord. Holy Spirit divine, you are the power of the most high God. Overshadow our spirits today. Overshadow us today. Let there be a miracle that is conceived in us today. That we may give birth to your purposes and your plans for our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I ask that you come and be the teacher and the counselor today. Let the entrance of the word of God bring light. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Let our minds be renewed today. To the glory of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And the people of God say, Amen. Amen. Well, good afternoon. Please be seated. It's good to be back with you here in Kensington Temple this uh, glorious summer afternoon. Amen. And uh, my gratitude to uh, the leaders of the house for asking me to come and minister to you. It's always a privilege and an honor to stand on this platform to minister. Amen. I want to welcome those who are in the overflows, downstairs in the lower hall and at the back. Uh, and if you're watching on the internet live or you are downloading this message, I want to say God bless you wherever you are and the grace of God be with you all. Amen. Um, I was here in February and um, I did bring a message that I took from the book of Ephesians and I titled my message then, um, God's Master Plan, The Church. And I want to bring this, the second part of that message today. So I'm titling this, uh, I give a title to this message today, God's Master Plan, The Church, Part 2, Amen. And so if you look uh, on our website, the media section, you'll find the first part of this message there. Um, I believe sincerely in my heart that God has put us on this planet as the church, as the body of Christ for his purposes, for his plan. And to a lot of extent, we are coming short of that plan. And it's time for us as the church of Jesus Christ to begin to learn, understand, embrace, and walk in the light of the revelation of the word of God about who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. And the book of Ephesians helps us to understand this in a better way. Um, I, I, I know that a lot of theologians call the book of Ephesians the, the bank of the believer the treasure house of the believer. 
where we go and we dig in again and, and receive the blessings of God that has been prepared for us before the foundation of the world. Paul, in the first chapter of Ephesians, began to tell us that God has blessed us. Not that God is going to bless us, but that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. Amen. There are some religious people that would want to say, well, that doesn't include physical blessings. Well, God bless you. Amen. But for me, I think it includes, for me personally, I want to believe it includes every blessing that I can get in Christ Jesus. Be it financial blessing, be it physical healing, whatever it may be, I believe that if God says he's blessed me with it, then my job is to receive it. Amen. Hallelujah. And then he goes on to say that in chapter 1 that we've been, we've been uh, uh, blessed before the foundation of the world. Before God created the world, he's given us all these blessings. He's pre-selected us. He's given us so much by his grace because of his riches and glory and so on and so forth. And when you come to verse 18 of chapter 1, Paul began to pray for the Ephesians. He prayed for them for enlightenment. He said, I, Paul, am praying for you that you have enlightenment. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, Paul prayed twice. In chapter 3, he prayed for enablement. In chapter 1, he prayed for enlightenment, and in chapter 3, he prayed for enablement. And so what I want to try to do uh, today is to, to take you through the book of Ephesians from chapter 4 back to chapter 1 and then back to chapter 3. Amen. I want to go from chapter 4 to chapter 3 to chapter 2 to chapter 1 and then come back to chapter 3. Amen. Because I want to show us uh, that God wants to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ever ask or think by the power that is at work in us. Can I hear you say amen? amen. I believe we, we, we've got to embrace this promise of God wanting to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ever ask or think by the power that is at work in us. I want us to see some of the things that Paul says needs to be in place before this happens. I don't know about you, but as a human being, I love to eat sugar sometimes. I like to put sugar in my coffee. And when I was a younger man, I liked to eat the icing on the cake. And even when I, you know, go to Starbucks once in a while, I like, you know, some cream on my mocha. I, I like to, to have sweet sometimes. But as I get older... And, uh, you know, the doctors say, well, you've got to cut down on sugar. I still indulge sometimes uh, in, in eating sweet things. And so some of us also, as Pentecostal, evangelical, charismatic Christians, we sometimes like the cream on the cake, the icing on the cake. But the cake is under the icing. And the cake is the real thing. And so this... Today, I want us to look at the cake itself. What is it that makes the cake the cake instead of just the icing? Because sometimes sugar can be bad for you. And sometimes, unless we under, understand the depth of the word of God, the things that need to be in place, and sometimes our prayers may look like it's not working. And we just heard Jonah say, God can just not do nothing. How is it that sometimes when we pray, when we seek God, when we quote some of these scriptures, it seems as if nothing is happening? Now, I'm not here today to give you a formula. No. I'm here to show you 
something from the scriptures about what we need to do, what we might, what we might have to work on in our lives in order for some things to be in place. For example, we know there's a law, or you might call it a principle, of sowing and reaping. Unless you sow, you cannot reap. Somebody said a farmer, a good farmer, will never eat his seed. A good farmer, after a harvest, will take the best seed and put them aside for the next season, planting season. And then when you've done that and the planting season comes and you put your seed in the ground, then you go pray to God to send you the rain. And then he sends the rain. And also in our lives, there are some things in our walk with God that has to be in place for us to benefit from some of the things that God has promised us. We know that salvation is free. Paul makes this clear in Ephesians chapter 2. It is not of yourself, so you cannot boast. It is by the grace of God. We get saved by the grace of God through faith. Paul pounded this uh, doctrine in the book of Ephesians. You cannot do anything to be saved. You cannot add to your salvation. You cannot take anything away from it. All we need to do is to believe and trust in the finished work of Calvary and we will be saved. If we believe it in our heart and we confess it with our mouth, we'll be saved. But the blessings of God are conditional. If you do this, I will do that. And there are some things that need to be in place in our lives for us to enjoy the fullness of God. And that is what my message is around today, the fullness of God, that God wants to pour out his fullness into you and into me. And for us to understand the reason why he wants to do that so that we, be, we can begin to walk towards it and receive that fullness. Amen. So please go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to read from verse 1. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 1. Chapter 4, sorry, from verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope, of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he, he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning 
craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Amen. Here the Apostle Paul tells us in this uh, verses of scripture that the body of Christ must edify itself in love. And this is going to happen according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Every part of us as the, as the body of Christ, every one of us, we are part of the body of Christ, there's something that we have to contribute to the body of Christ. There is something in your life there is something in my life that Christ has given you that is unique to you that you must supply to the body of Christ. In order for this body to grow, every part must supply that which has been given to it in order for the body to grow up into one unit, into one strength, into one body. And we must build up this body, edify this body in love. Love is the foundation of it. We must have love. We must love one another. And he goes on to say, we, we must make sure that we are no longer children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men <laughs> in conning craftiness of deceitful plotting. There are some people out there that are cunning and they are crafty and they are plotting in order to deceive. In order to deceive. And this would get you, this craftiness, this plotting, this deceitfulness will catch you unawares unless you grow up in Christ. Jesus wants us to grow. He wants his body to grow. He doesn't want us to remain beggars all the time, begging him for what he has already given us already. Running to and fro, going here and there, running after men who are plotting and are crafty and are deceiving us. They want to send you a, a well water from America. And when that special handkerchief comes to you from America, you must put it under your, on your pillow, under your pillow. That sounds to me like occultism. They want to give you ribena and olive oil to drink. For what? And when we are not grown up in Christ, when we have not come to that level of maturity of the stature of Christ, we are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We run after the latest thing in town. When Christ is with you, is in you, and is on you by the power of his Holy Spirit. But we get thrown around. We are always running after one thing or the other. And it's because we have not allowed ourselves to grow up in order to receive the fullness of God. And I pray that at the end of, the, of, this, of, this, of this service today, you would know that it's very important for you to open your life up to Jesus Christ in order to receive his fullness so that we are no longer uh, being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Can I hear you say Amen. And so Paul explains these things and says to us 
That that was the reason why God gave some to be apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, and evangelists. Why? In order for them to equip us as the saints of God for the work of ministry. The giftings, the fivefold ministry we call it, has been given to the church. These graces have been given to, to the church, not, not for us to become famous. Not for us to become the best selling author, the New York Times best selling author. Not for us to be, to be, to be appearing on Oprah Winfrey's show. If, that, if all that happens, well, it's a bonus. But that's not our primary calling. That's not the calling of God upon our lives. That is not walking worthy. That is the reason why the, the, the world is trying to choke us to death. Because we keep compromising with the world. Jesus has called us to not conform to the world. Because if you do, you're an enemy of God. And the world wants us to conform to it. Why? Because the world wants to dominate our lives and make us do the things that Christ says we should not do. They tell us we are cake. We are living in the past. But the Bible tells us that God declares that I am God and I change not. That's why you, the sons of men, are not consumed. Hallelujah. The Bible says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And if we are not renewed in our minds, we cannot be transformed. And therefore, we cannot bring transformation into our world. And unless we bring transformation into our world, we cannot bring the kingdom of God. And yet Jesus taught us to pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. There are forces out there who do not want the kingdom of God to come. They don't want the will of God to be done. And they will call us names. And they will try to push us out of the marketplaces. You say, you say God bless you to somebody at work. It's almost a problem. You might face a disciplinary committee. Even Christians now, we have to force our ways to say Merry Christmas. Because it's no longer politically correct. Just say Happy Holidays. And so, how do we fight back? And when I mean fight back, I don't just mean protesting and going to court. How do we fight back in the spirit? How do we do the work of Jesus Christ here on earth? By bringing his kingdom down. Because that's the most important thing. The most important thing in your life and in my life as a believer is to bring the kingdom of God down into your sphere of oppression, into, your, into the sphere of influence that you have. It's about the kingdom of God. The Bible says that when Jesus began to preach, he preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was what he preached. When he sent his disciples out, Two by two, the 12 and the 70, he told them, go and preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. When he rose from the dead, it was the same thing he told them. Go and preach the kingdom of God is at hand. So it's all about the kingdom of God. And he taught us by saying, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about you and I as citizens of the kingdom. And so the book of Ephesians in the first three chapters, chapters one to three, tells us who we are in Christ. 
what we have in Christ, our blessings in Christ, the fact that before the foundation of the world, God chose you and he chose me before Satan can do anything about it. Hallelujah. No wonder Paul prayed in that chapter, God, enlighten their eyes. I pray that you will receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, that your eyes be enlightened, that you may know the hope of his calling. Here in, in chapter 4, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which, with which you are called. Walk worthy of the calling. If we walk the way of the world, we cannot walk according to the calling. I was saddened a few weeks ago when I heard in the news that one of the most sane voices in the Christian world in our nation today, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Carey, has now succumbed to pressures to support assisted suicide. It was a sad day for Christianity. Not just in England, but around the world. Because he's a well-respected man. He, he, he held on to the integrity to, of the scripture. He, 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 he spoke against the things. That, but now he's been pressured. And he's, he's, he's succumbed to that pressure of accepting that, yeah, people may be in pain. And the pain may be just too much. Please understand. I may not know the pain you are going through. But I was born with pain. Not like Jabesh that was born into pain. His mother said, I bore him in pain or in sorrow. Named him Jabesh. No, I was born with pain. The pain of sickle cell anemia crisis. I know what pain is. For the first 28 years of my life, I had pain. I remember one day confronting my mother and asking her, Mom, why did you bring me into this world? The pain was too much. Everywhere I went on holiday to visit, I carried my painkiller injections in a little box with me. I know the crisis of pain, the crisis that comes with sickness. I know pain, and I don't like it. So I understand pain. I'm not speaking from the platform of a preacher. I'm speaking from personal experience. There is pain in this world because our world is falling. And I remember my mother busting out crying. Because it was almost like this child is accusing me of bringing pain on him. And, I, and she began to encourage me and say, son, there is hope. There is hope in God. You are not a mistake. God gave you to us. God gave you to us. And, and she, she managed to convince me to an extent. But I, the following day, the pain continued. So I went to her again and said, mom. Please take me to the hospital. I want my arms and my legs amputated. This pain is too much. I know what pain is, people of God. And there's pain in our world. There is pain in our world. But there's also hope in God. There is hope in God. There is hope in God. I live today. Hallelujah. Yes, give him glory. Hallelujah. I live today free of sickle cell pain to the glory of God. There is hope. Jesus came to give us hope. But when we refuse hope through the mouth of the former Archbishop of Canterbury, what is there? 
If the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? There is hope. Because of pain, I, 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 I thank God that my mother did not yield to me going to be amputated. Or helping me to commit suicide. Oh, people of God, I know. Sometimes these things happen because we live in a fallen world. But there is hope. We have to keep on hoping in God. We have to keep believing in God. We have to keep believing in his promises. Hallelujah. We cannot allow the world to take hope away from us. We are the only hope that the world has. And that's because the greater one is on the inside of us. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we must continue to bring the message of hope to our world. Not allow the world to choke hope out of our lives. Hallelujah. Hope is a person and his name is Jesus. If we, if we succumb to pressures, pressures from the world, to kill our vulnerable. Children are murdered every day. Now those who think that uh, uh, maybe I'm, I'm giving too much trouble to my parents, they, they, they will succumb easily. Those are the pressures. Somebody may think, well, look at my family. They have no more life. They're just looking at their whole life revolves around me and so on and so forth. Well, maybe if I just die, you know, they, they will be set free. No. No. I, I, I remember listening on the, on, the, on the radio to a program when this issue came up. And I remember a young man of 27 who has a child, a son that was five. And the only thing he was praying for was that this child one day will be able to call him daddy. And he said the day that child opened up his mouth at age five to say daddy, that was the best day of his life. That was hope. I know some of us, that may not mean anything to you unless you've been through it. Or unless you've seen somebody going, going through it. How they held on to hope. How that man held on to hope saying, this child is going to call me daddy one day. And the hope came to pass. We must not give up hope because of the pressure of the world. And I have said all that to say this. How do we tell the world to stay at bay? How do we withstand the pressures that we face every day that wants to take Christ out of our lives, out of our homes, out of our schools, out of our world, out of our communities? It's only by being filled with the fullness of God. And Paul comes to this part in chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians. Please go with me to chapter 3, verse 14. He says here in, in verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you go to verse 1 of chapter 3, you will see a pattern there, almost similar thing that Paul said. He said in verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, and then there's a dash in front of Gentiles, which means he stops. Paul stops right there. And Bible scholars tell us that from verse 2 to verse 13 was in parenthesis. It was in brackets. Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, and then he stops. His thought process, 
He stopped his thought process, and then he went back to reminding them of some of the things that he told them before in chapter 1 and 2, that God has given him the mysteries of the Gentiles becoming part of the, of the blessings of Abraham. The church, the, the Jews and the Gentiles worshiping Jesus together, where there's no more Jew, there's no more Gentile in Christ. He said this was a mystery that was not given to the prophets and apostles of old, but now has been revealed to us. He went into all that from chapter, verse 2 to, chapter, to, to, verse, to verse 13. Then in verse 14, he said, for this reason. You will notice that in verse 1, he said, for this reason. Now, in, in verse 14, he also says, for this reason. So he's continuing his, his, his line of thought in verse 14. For this reason, in verse 1, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. And we must ask ourselves, for what reason, Paul? For what reason are you bowing your knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus? The answer is in chapter 2. Let's read from verse 14. Hallelujah. For he himself is our peace. Sorry, from, from verse 19. Chapter 2 from verse 19. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom... The whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Paul says, I'm bowing my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because God wants to build you in the Spirit. God wants to build me in the Spirit for a holy habitation for himself. Please think about it. The almighty God, the king of glory, the creator of the heavens and the earth wants to dwell in you. He actually is building you up together with the sister or the brother or the auntie or the father sitting next to you. We are all being built together in order that God may want to, to dwell in us, in order for God to dwell in us. I want you to imagine for a minute that the Spirit of the Lord God is in you in fullness, not in measure. Hallelujah. Please tell me what Red Sea can stand before you. What wall of Jericho can stand before you? Where is the river Jordan that can say, who are you? Where is the enemy of your soul that can challenge the power of God in your life? When the fullness of God is dwelling in us. It is the lack of the fullness of God that causes an archbishop to say, I support assisted suicide. Well, no, matter, no matter what name you give, it's this suicide. The church must go back to that place where we are filled with the fullness of Christ. Where we can walk the streets of our nation. Where we can preach the truth of the word of God. Where we can love one another and even love our enemies. Because we are full of the fullness of Christ. In chapter 4, Paul says, God wants us to come to the full measure, to the, to, that, to the measure of the stature of Christ. How do we come to the measure of the stature of Christ? The measure of the stature of Christ. I read in my Bible where Jesus Christ said, these works that I do, you will do also. And greater works you will do. And I ask myself, Lord of glory, how is that possible? You raised the dead. 
you walk on water. Lazarus was dead for three days, you, you woke him up. You multiply bread and fed 5,000. Where is that greater work that one can do? But is it possible? Of course it's possible because the Lord of glory himself said it. And he attached no condition to it. I've looked in my Bible, I've searched in my Bible, there were no conditions attached to it. Greater works than this you will do if you are a believer. Paul says in chapter 1 that the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to you and to me just because you are a believer. Hallelujah. When you go through the book of Ephesians, you begin to understand why Paul says or why theologians tell us that it's the treasure house of the believer. It's where we go to reassert who we are in Christ. I'm loved before the foundation of the world. I have been predestined before the foundation of the world. I have been chosen by God, adopted into his family. He adopted me into his family before the foundation of the world. I am not an ordinary person. I don't know about you. And when the king of glory comes to dwell in me with all his fullness, I become extraordinary. I become supernatural. And our skeptic world today needs to see the supernatural. Not one that can be queried. Not one that can be, that can be spoken of as if we are, we are manufacturing miracles. Hallelujah. They, they've got to see. Pastor Colin puts this in his book, the, the, the Living Free book, that Jesus has called us to be proof producers. Because in Acts chapter 1, he said, the Bible says that he showed himself with infallible proofs to his disciples that he's alive. We've been called to show that Christ Jesus is alive. That he's not dead. That he's alive, he's not dead. He's alive in you. He's alive in me. And we are to go out there and become proof producers for Jesus. Each one of us. That was why in chapter 4, Paul said, he gave us some to be apostles, to be teachers, to be all these fivefold ministries so that we can be equipped. The way we are now in the church, Jesus is looking for a body that is equipped. He's not looking for a few famous preachers. He's not looking for a few superstar preachers. Jesus is looking for the child in the church to be filled with him so that he can go to school in primary school and be a proof producer. That's our job now. Some people call it the day of the saints, that we are in the age of the saints. And if we are in the age of the saints, I want your mind to be opened up today that God can do this with you and through you. Because Ephesians says so, that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ever ask or think by his power that is operating within us. It is him who is able to do that. Not you and I being able to perform. But God, whose fullness is dwelling in us, is able to do what we cannot even imagine. By his power that is operational in us. But there are some things that need to be in place. Paul says, number one, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one wonders why he didn't say, I bow my knees to the almighty, all-powerful, all-gracious, all-omnipotent, omniscient God. And God is all that. But he says, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he wants to remind us of what Jesus himself said. When the disciples came to him to ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, our Father. 
For those of us who have children, we know that our children, when they are children, like my four-year-old, he doesn't, he, she's, she's not worried whether I have the Queen of England in my, in, my, in my office or in my bedroom talking to me or I have Obama. It doesn't really matter. Even if an angel of God was there, he bad, she badges him. In fact, sometimes I have to send her back and say, now go and knock the door, darling. You know, you can't just badge into my room like that. And that's who we are before God. God has got no grandchildren. He's only got children. And we are his children. And when we behave like children, he's not worried. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, we can come boldly before his throne of grace to receive help in our time of need. There's no better time, there's no greater time for us to go to keep budgeting into the presence of God because this is a time of need. It's a time of need in our world. The United Nations, the European Union, the NATO, every, every, every organization in the world, they can pass all the decrees they have against Israel. They can support Israel today and support Hamas tomorrow. They can make resolutions upon resolutions. There's not going to be peace in the Middle East until the Prince of Peace comes into that region. And his name is Jesus. And you know, people of God, until his second coming, until he comes the second time to rule and to reign, we are Christ to our world. It is through us that he wants to show the world that he is the Prince of Peace. And this may look like a daunting walk to us, and it is, when we look in the natural. I don't know what challenges that you're facing in your life that looks like a mountain to you. And yes, because we look in the natural, it's like a mountain. But when we look from the perspective of God, when we go into scriptures and we, when we receive that which God says he wants us to have, not just because he wants us to become celebrities and, and famous people, and that, 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 that's, up, that, that, that's to the glory of God. If in the process of serving God and being church and being the body of Christ, you become famous, you become popular for the glory of God, amen, hallelujah to that. But that's not our primary calling. Our primary calling is to be Christ to the world. It's to be Jesus to our world. Because we are the only Jesus they will see physically. And our life must portray the true Jesus. And that's why Paul says in chapter 1, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. We have been called to serve Jesus. We have been called to be light and salt in our world. And we must walk worthy of that calling. And Paul helps us to understand this. Because in chapter 3, from verse 14, he now begins to pray for the Ephesians. He's praying for us today also. He says to them, for this reason, and the reason is because we are being built together as a holy habitation for our God in the Spirit. And Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he will grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts, through faith, that you've been rooted and grounded in love, 
may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The fullness of God. I'm still trying to work it out in my mind. How I can carry the fullness of God. But then Paul tells us the reason why. He says in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him, this same him, Jesus, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. When our purpose is to bring glory to God, then the fullness of God in you and in me is possible. God has given us his best. And his name is Jesus. That's all the best of God you can ever have. He gave you and I his best. He gave us his best. But there was something that he held back. He will not even share with you. It's his glory. He says, I want my glory to be manifested in the church. To him be glory in the church. You and I are the church. God wants to manifest his glory through you and through me. Everywhere we gather, he wants his glory to be seen. He wants his glory to cover the whole earth as the waters cover the seas. And Paul says, in order for us to come to that place where God's glory is fully manifested in our world, first, we must be filled with his fullness. And I ask myself, how can I be filled with the fullness of God? Because it blows my mind. Because I think I'm going to explode. I think I will explode. If the fullness of God is dwelling in me, how do I, get, how do I not get to that place where I become big-headed because of the miracles that are happening through my life? How do I get to that place where I, I, I am not, I'm not proud? I don't become like Satan who said, I will exalt myself above the throne of God. I, 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 he said. And God said, because you've exalted yourself, I'm bringing you low. How do I not follow Satan so that God does not resist me? Because the Bible says God resists the proud. Because if you think deeply about it, the fullness of God in you makes you a miracle going somewhere to happen. He makes you unstoppable. He makes you unconquerable. And that's what Jesus wants for us. For a church that is unconquerable. A church that is unstoppable. A church that cannot be forced into the mold of the world. And Paul gives us the steps. From verse 16, theologians tell us that this is what is called a hina in theology. It's a sequence of events that needs to happen before something else happens. So, for example, if you're a farmer, you can't just sit down in your house and think, I'm going to have a harvest. No, you've got to go into the farm and you've got to sow a seed. You've got to go plant that seed. And so you can reap from the, from the principle of seed sowing and harvest. Amen. So there are some things that need to be in place in our lives in order for us to enjoy the fullness of God. I want you to know we are enjoying a measure of the fullness of God. But God is not satisfied with just a measure. He wants to give us the fullness of himself. And Paul says in verse 16 that he will grant, he will grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And then when you look at verse 17, verse 17 simply says that Christ, 
But theologians tell us that the correct translation is in order that, not just that, in order that. So let's read it this way. That he will grant you, verse 16, that he will grant you according to the riches of his glory, in order that you be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. In order that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In order that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, and the depth and height. In order that you may know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. In order that you may be filled with the fullness of God. When all these things happen, in order that, number one, you are strengthened in your inner man by the might of the Spirit. How do you get strengthened in the inner man? Your inner man is your spirit. I'm looking at you today. And according to Proverbs, I'm not really seeing you. I'm looking at your house. And you are looking back to, to, you know, at me, and I'm looking at you through the windows of your house. And you are looking at me through the windows of your house. Your eyes are the windows of your house. The real you is on the inside. It's inside the house. And the Bible says here, through Paul, that God wants to strengthen us in the inner man. Your spirit is your inner man. You know, that's why the devil is always mad when we pray in tongues. Because that's one of the ways that you strengthen yourself. Because the Bible says that when you speak in tongues, you are edifying yourself. Yourself, the real you, is being built up. To edify means to build up. You are building yourself up in your most holy faith. Paul says, we must, we must, we must, that God, he prays that God will grant you and I, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So it's the Holy Spirit that comes and does the strengthening. Please say with me, Holy Spirit, strengthen me in the inner man. Let that be your prayer every time you wake up in the morning and then just start speaking in tongues and make the devil crazy. Make him mad. Make every religious spirit around you mad by speaking in tongues because you are strengthening yourself in your inner man. And there's no other time in the history of the church that we need to be strengthened in the inner man. Otherwise, we begin to compromise. We begin to conform. The Bible says we must not conform to this world. We cannot conform. If we are weak in the inner man, then we conform to the ways of the world. And when we conform to the world, the Bible says we are enemies of God. May we not be enemies of our God. Hallelujah. To be an enemy of God is to stand in front of a 120 miles per hour train. You get crushed. In the whole armor of God, Everywhere from our head to our feet is covered except our back. That's because God has got your back. He's behind you. He's the rock of ages behind you. He's the unmovable mover behind you. He's the unshakable shaker behind you. And when you turn your back at the enemy and you face God with your weapons, you get crushed. There's no retreat. There's no surrender for us as children of God. We are in a war. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they are in the spirit, but they are mighty through God to pulling down every stronghold of the enemy in our lives and in our nation. And we've got to know that. So Paul says, be strengthened. He's praying that God himself will strengthen you and I in our inner man. And then he goes on to in verse 17 to say that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Hallelujah. Ah, oh, who am I going to? But come, come here. Come, come. Let me borrow this brother. Come, please come. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Christ may dwell in your hearts 
through faith. You know, when we, when we are trained in XCE, can you give me the Roman handshake? No, that's not the, this is the Roman handshake. Amen. When we are taught and trained in XCE, we are taught that this is the, XCE is a, is a, is a sharing life training. We are taught that this is the way we are with Christ. Amen. This is, his hand is representing the hand of Jesus. And this is my hand holding him. And he's holding me. And sometimes in our lives, we feel that Jesus is not there because sometimes we operate in feelings. Even though the Bible says that we do not walk by sight, we walk by faith. Sometimes we want to walk by sight. And so sometimes, I, I please hold me, hold me. I, I let go of Jesus. And I wake up in the morning and I think, where's Jesus? Jesus, I can't feel you. But is he still holding me? Jesus is still holding you. He never let go. Because he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. <laughs> Hallelujah. So even when you don't feel him, he's still there. And that's what Paul is saying. Christ must dwell in your heart by faith. How do you know that Christ is with you? By faith. How do you know that he's still backing you? By faith. How do you know that he's still holding you? By faith. Thank you, brother. Let him dwell in your heart by faith. It's not by feeling. It's by faith. The just shall live by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to, to, to please God. We walk by faith and not by sight. Christ must dwell in us by faith. You wake up in the morning, you don't feel anything. Jump up and say, Jesus, thank you because I know you are still holding me. Hallelujah. Let's make the devil mad every day of our lives. Hallelujah. He said that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Being rooted and grounded in love. Not just practicing love once in a while. But your root, your, your root is deep in the love of Christ. You are grounded in his love. Not just because you know he loves you. But also that his love has been shed abroad in your heart. If you are not rooted and grounded, grounded in love, you can't love your enemies. It's even sometimes difficult to love a brother and a sister in the church because of what they've done. But if we are rooted and grounded in love, which means you, 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 know, you are planted, you are rooted there. You are like Kensington Temple. You are planted and rooted in Notting Hill Gate. There's nothing that can shift this building and take it to, to what I'm still. No. This building is planted here, it's rooted here. You also and I, we must ensure that we are rooted and planted and grounded in love. In the love of Christ. And you know, nobody is going to do that for you. Not even the Holy Spirit. Because it's not a gift of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Which means something that will work out in our character. It's something that we pursue. That's why the Bible says we must pursue love. If you, if you don't practice love, then you can't love your enemies. We, and we must love our enemies. We must love those who persecute us. How do we do this? By being rooted and planted in love. By being grounded in the love of Christ. Then Paul goes on to say, to say this. He says in verse 18, that may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. To know the love of Christ, unless we deliberately get ourselves planted and rooted and grounded in love, we are not able to comprehend the love of Christ. The height, the depth, the width of which is incomprehensible. Then he goes on to say, verse 19, 
To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. To know that which passes knowledge. Sounds contradictory. How can you know what is unknowable? But Paul says here, when we are rooted and we are grounded in the love of Jesus, then we are able to know that which is unknowable. To know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. To begin to begin to comprehend why he came and he died a cruel death on the cross of Calvary for you and for me. What was it this love? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What is this incredible love? In order for us to be able to comprehend that, we must determine to be grounded and rooted and planted in the love of Christ. And Paul says, when this happens, when we can comprehend this with all the saints, this land, to know this knowledge that is unknowable, then we may be filled with all the fullness of Christ. Hallelujah. When this sequence of events follow, we are strengthened in our spirit, in the inner man, by the might of God. We come to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. We are grounded, grounded and rooted in his love. We comprehend this knowledge with all the saints. Then we can be filled with the fullness of God. And when that happens, then to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ever ask or think by his power that is at work in us. When we are strengthened in the inner man, by the might of the Holy Spirit, when we are rooted and grounded in his love, when we are able to comprehend the love of Christ that passes all knowledge, then the fullness of God comes into you. When that fullness of God comes into you, then God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ever ask or think by his power that is at work in you. And then Paul says, then to him, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, I want to assure you this afternoon that God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ever think or ask by the power that has worked in you, not just in your life, but also through your life. But we must, we must, we must, we must, we must go after the fullness of Christ. That was why in chapter 4, Paul says, until we all come to the full measure, to the measure of the stature of Christ. In Luke chapter 3, the Bible talks about Jesus being taken to Jerusalem for the feast. And they were looking for him because they thought he's got, gotten lost. But when they found him in the temple, they took him and they, and they said, why did you do this to us? He said, well, I must be about my father's business. Then in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, the Bible says, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And he was subject to them, but his mother kept all these things in, his, in her heart. Verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. God wants us to increase in stature. He wants us to increase in wisdom. His wisdom, the wisdom that comes from above. He wants us to increase in stature. When we increase in stature, then we are in favor with God and with man. Which simply means, the Bible says, if your way pleases the Lord, he even makes your enemies to become your friend. They have no choice. They have to shower favor upon you. 
But when we do not allow the fullness of God in us, then we compromise with, God, with, with, with the world and we are not able to receive the fullness of the stature of God and then we are not able to manifest exceedingly, abundantly, above all that God has for us, all that we can think or ask or imagine. By the power that is, we should change the power that is at work in us. We we experience we experience faith failure, power failure in our lives, and that is because the fullness of God is being short circuited in our lives because we think there is a shortcut. People of God, there is no shortcut. We must allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. And my prayer for you this afternoon is that the Holy Spirit will strengthen you. Wherever you are in this hall, please stand to your feet. Please stand. Let's pray. Let's pray. Please stand. Hallelujah. God wants to bless us with his fullness. Not just in measure, but his fullness. Because we are his body, we are his church. And with us, we are his master plan. We are his master plan in our world today. And he wants to do exceedingly above. I want you to lift up your hands as we pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we acknowledge that you are our father. And we bow before you today as Paul did to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. From whom all the families in heaven and on earth are joined. Lord, we are asking this afternoon that as your children, you will strengthen us with might in our inner person. We are asking, oh God, that you strengthen us in our spirit. We are asking, oh God, that we may experience the fullness of the stature of God in our lives. We are asking us that you give us your love. Let your love be shed abroad in our hearts, oh God. May we show your love to a dying world. May we bring your peace to our communities. May we manifest Jesus in our world today. May we become proof producers by your power that is at work in us. Let the name of Jesus be glorified in this house and in our lives as your body and as your church. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, may we bring hope to our world. May we bring hope to our world. May we bring hope to our world. Where there's no hope, may they see us and no hope has come. Where there's no love, may they see us and no love has come. Where there's no faith, may they see us as if faith has come. That the name of Jesus, our Lord, may be glorified. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you.